0: The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app.
1: Stay Leo Chico, Pit Boom, Mr. 305, but I said Mr. Worldwide, and you already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast, From Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the Vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast, Podcast 1, Spotify. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in 5 seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede meal. It's only at McDonald's. Where there's a meal for every morning. And
2: nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba da ba ba ba.
0: Mentioned our our, uh, our first kind of real commercial movie was called Welcome to Collinwood, and it made its uh, United States premiere in this movie theater right here. So, good memories. I uh,
3: again, I want to start with a huge thank you to Disney, to everyone at ArcLight, and our friends at Sideshow and Hot Toys for uh, this. I, I told them that there was going to be something on stage with them, but I didn't say what.
2: It's beautiful, right?
3: <laughs> I, I, what, what's funny is it's True going home. Life with,
2: size. What? Life size. Right.
3: It's, uh, uh, it's going home with them tonight. And I think that. Thank it's gonna, you. It's going to look good in the office. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I got a whole bunch of questions, so let's start with the most important thing up front. Uh, how does Avengers 4 end?
2: <laughs> hold, hold on one second.
0: Here's how it ends.
2: Any A4 questions? <laughs> Any trailer questions?
3: You get the horn. You went to the set of The Mandalorian. So, let, let's talk about... Uh, since, you know, you can't spoil anything with Avengers 4, let's talk about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and so, let's just talk. So, how did Everybody it look? Everybody die? <laughs> right. Sorry. Uh, how did it look?
2: Uh, it's amazing. I mean, I think um, we went down there to... Say hi to John. Tycho was uh, directing an episodes, so went to hang out with them. Uh, and John is always at the uh, forefront of cutting edge tech, and he is shooting this in a way that uh, no one has ever shot anything ever before. Pretty astounding.
3: Uh I have to ask: um, Is Star Wars? Did
2: you guys grow up with Star
3: Wars? Is that something that, like, because yeah. you're part of you're part of the Disney family now, is that something where you know you maybe had conversations? Like, is it something you're interested in?
2: Well, we, I mean, we grew up on Star Wars like everyone else did. I went to the theater, uh, 12, 15, I was 11 years old to see Empire Strikes Back and sat in the theater from 11.30 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night and watched it back, 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 back. Uh, so it's, uh, it was a huge influence on us growing up. We, of course, you know, loved to work at some point in Star Wars Universe, but right now our heads are, uh, in, in the middle of the, room. the
3: room. Uh you guys must also watch a lot of TV. You, you've you directed a lot of TV. What have you seen recently that you would love to guest direct?
2: I, I loved uh, two things I loved recently. Uh the Toe House. If I was- <laughs> very poignant, very thematic, very emotional. Uh, and I just finished the bodyguard, I thought that was great.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I would love to do an episode of I Love Lucy.
1: <laughs>
3: uh, you I mentioned after the Avengers that you're, you're going to be done picking a break from superhero movies. Uh, we all get that. We respect that you've done the impossible with this. Saying that, uh, Disney's about to acquire Fox with uh, Fantastic Four and X-Men, so um, have you changed your mind?
2: Not until they're ready to make Secret Wars.
3: So you're saying there's a chance
2: <laughs> in
0: hell.
2: Right.
3: A, well, I'm also curious, though, uh, what do fans have to do to um, get you to helm a Wolverine and Spider-Man movie and have Hugh Jackman come back?
2: <laughs> well, it'd be easy because we love Tom Holland and we love Hugh Jackman. But uh, I think, look, it's incredible that, you know, we're fans as well. We grew up reading these comic books. Uh, Secret Wars was a prized possession on as a kid, so it's amazing to think that there are all, all these characters are coming along one place, I and mean, it's going to be fascinating to see how Kevin engineers a uh, future that involves all these characters. And, uh, as a fan, I'm just excited as excited to you
3: guys About two years ago, Mark Ruffalo spoiled the movie. Um, what the hell was your reaction when he said some stuff? We fired him. <laughs> Being serious, have you reached, because he tends to, listen, I love the guy, but he tends to make a few mistakes here and there. Have you limited the information you're now sharing?
0: It is very difficult when your job is to sort of uh, personalize these stories, personalize these characters, and sort of uh, bring all your creative, collaborative energy to a process that lasts many, many months, sometimes more than a year. Um, You know, it's a big part of your life, so it's... it's very hard not to talk about this stuff because it, you live with it for so long and you live with it so deeply. So yeah, we we have developed a process where it's like, you you know, you take pressure off of people by like letting them know less. So it's like, it's less responsibility they have ahead of themselves. Um, so we've developed an elaborate process by which, you know, we try to, to only let people know what they absolutely do. And, uh, it it makes it a little bit easier for them to edit themselves.
3: You guys, when you set out to make the movies, you originally were going to direct, they were both going to be filming at the same time, on the same day. And then that changed. Uh, when did that actually change and why?
0: Uh, well, we were prepping the movies, like, you know, because these movies are so big and so complex, and there are some characters who, um, are involved in both. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, there was an idea that we would sort of mix both movies and kind of, you know, would do, do what's called cross-board them in a way. Um, but as we started to get closer and deeper into pre-production, the movies were so complex and so hard to wrangle. Um, just for our own process, and I think everybody's process involved, uh, on a creative level, we needed to just separate the two and really think about them both individually. So they're both very different movies, and we wanted to treat them as very different movies. And just separating them, you know, we did shoot them back-to-back, so literally we finished shooting the Infinity War, and we rolled right into the next Avenger movie. Which is why we look as old as we do. Yes, we, were, we were literally shooting for a straight year without, you know, stopping, it was a very intense, uh, very difficult year, very challenging year. Good thing there's two of us, uh, but uh, yeah, we just so we did we did separate them just because it was they were such so complex and in, uh, in deserts, so complex. Did you
3: at what point in pre-production did you realize it's not going to work? We need to separate these.
2: We're a couple yeah. months out, I think yeah. like four months out, you're, you're we started here. having production meetings yeah. that were lasting like nine or ten hours because you'd have to talk about one movie and then you'd have to talk about the next movie. And once we were doing that, people were getting confused about uh, what scene was in what film and, uh, uh, and could, could, you know, it, it just was draining everyone's energy and resources to try to think about
0: each of these movies
2: are as expensive as movies get, and it means are very, very advanced and complicated and difficult, uh, and it's very difficult on the crew, and it's, uh, it's a lot of information. To retain, and we just felt like we had to separate for the, for the like this.
3: Uh, On what day of production were you both like, okay, that's it, I'm out?
0: 221. Okay. I remember, I remember what the day I, the day I was out, I remember I called Joe up and I said, every time I inhale, it feels like there's knives in my lungs. And he's like, you gotta go to the hospital. <laughs> And I did, and I had pneumonia, and I had a cute, with acute bronchitis on top of it. So that, that's when I was out, and, and
3: that was during shooting.
0: During shooting, so that was very deep into the production. So
3: what happens when when you get diagnosed with that? Literally, because I think Matt Reeves on the Apes movies, when the first one he did, he got pneumonia, and I think they had to shut down for a little bit.
0: Yeah, this one we got to keep going.
2: He wailed his bad to said. Prop them up.
3: So, certain actors, from what I understand, they had the script, but
2: they had their scenes and then fake scenes? Yeah, we would write fake scenes or we would uh, redact scenes. Um, uh, we thought it was better, frankly, to write fake scenes because uh, um, if information, uh, there's going to be. Uh,
3: uh, is it true that the actors on set didn't know what they were filming between Avengers 3 and 4
0: on a certain day? Only some of the actors. Like, maybe Mac or I, I don't know. There were a few isolated incident instances where we were shooting um, out of order, you know. Um, mixing the films to a very light degree for very specific reasons in a few instances. So it might have happened once or twice, but no. I mean, everybody... We would, we make we're, it clear
2: to yeah. people. We're very clear, we're
0: setting up a scene. Five happening. minutes
2: before they shot what they were shooting. <laughs> uh,
3: jumping into the actual writing process, how close did you guys get in, in, uh, in developing this and it being a really different
2: movie? Uh, how close did this come? Did anybody, I mean, we did three drafts of this that were all radically different. One draft involved, uh, Thanos of the, uh, as a narrator of the film, it was non-linear in structure, uh, it had, uh, backstories for, uh, the Black Order, they were all introduced in very cool sequences, but it ended up being like a 250 page script, and we thought, alright, you can't fit all of this storytelling. But a lot of times when you work on the, a movie of the scale, and you wind up with a 250 page draft, it's the Bible for the movie. So, um, uh, you, you get you gain a lot of information you write characters out in a way that you start to understand what it is they want and I think writing out Thanos' narration gave us insight into who he was as a character and what we wanted him to do in this film And uh, so then it was much easier once we started pulling all that out to make it subtext for him as a character uh, and to create a more linear structure um, because we found that I think at a certain point we did a lot of development on this, but at a certain point, we thought, you know, what, this is really a heist movie, and uh, and, and Thanos is uh, is enacting a heist, and it's a uh, it's it's got to have a certain uh, structure to it that reflects a heist film. Uh, so if you look at the movie, you know, it it actually is sort of like uh, it's like uh, Two Days in the Valley or Out of Sight, where you know there's multiple MacGuffins uh that that thanos is chasing and that all the other characters are are trying to get to first or stop him from getting so it's very it's very simple structure and 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 we thought we have so many characters in the movie we have to simplify the structure i think that's really what led us from that 250 page draft to what the movie is now is simplifying the plot keeping it linear and uh and and letting the uh character moments come through uh
3: chris mccrory when he makes these mission impossible movies He has a little bit of the script, and then there's a lot being changed on set. You guys write the script, you step on set. How much is actually changing uh,
0: when you are there? You know, we like to go into the process again because these movies are so complex and it involves so many, you have to coordinate so many different people to sort of achieve what you're trying to get to. Um, We like to go in with a very tight script. So we work very closely with Marcus and McFeely. We have a great collaborative relationship with them. They've written every single Marvel movie we've done. And uh, we really make sure that we've got something very solid on the page that we believe in, we want to execute. That being said, our process is very open. You know, we're always open to how things are evolving as we start to execute. And so very often we do change things on set. Um, but that's not because we don't have like a very clear, solid plan going in. It's just because we are open to the moment as we're executing, as the actors are bringing ideas to the table, uh, uh, things that can kind of lead us in new directions, things that maybe are shading the narrative in a way we weren't anticipating but that we want to take advantage of. Uh,
3: When did you decide to open with the attack on the ship? And I have to ask, uh, where was Hulk when everyone was being killed?
2: Uh, Where was Hulk when everyone was being killed? He was uh, fighting in other parts of the ship's very
0: large ship, Well, he, he also, you know, he 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 talks, uh, you know, when he explains to Tony that he, he and Hulk, have, uh, Banner says he and Hulk have, have been having a bit of a thing, and he has trouble transitioning. Uh, you know, Banner and Hulk are sharing the same host body, and they're sort of starting to, like, not cooperate like they used to over... How that body? Uh, who who has control of that body at any given He's moment? In the
2: corner, arguing with Banner in his head. Uh, the uh, uh, sorry, what was the other question? Uh, how did you guys
3: decide to open with the attack on the ship? Oh, when yeah.
2: we we knew we couldn't, we didn't want to see. We had a, a draft where he secured the uh, power stone. It just felt like it was one too many, and we thought, all right, well, why don't we why don't we just start in the middle of the scene? Uh, uh, that uh, that's going to knock the audience off balance. Thanos already has the upper hand. Everyone's had their ass kicked. Uh, people are dead, um, and we just felt like it would be a more shocking opening that would define him as a character uh, um, for the mo- for the rest of the movie. And it's a it's a grand entrance for him as a character. Is that you know he's he's already in the midst of his plan, and we're catching up to it.
0: Part uh, another part of the reason why we did that was the end of Civil War, the idea that we've left the, um, the Avengers in a place where they're broken and separated from one another, and we knew that created a vulnerability in them because they were no longer together, they were no longer a team. So the fact that Thanos could strike fast and be one step ahead of them uh, was even more threatening to them in the narrative because, again, in order for them to respond to the threat of Thanos, in order for the, you know they would have to sort of they, they had a long road to go before they could get on the same team again, and which you know they never actually do in this film. They never are united as a force in this film, and that was part of the concept of 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 having Thanos one step ahead of them is that that was where they were most vulnerable because they were divided.
3: Uh, was Stannis only able to beat Hulk because he had the Power Stone,
2: or is he just that powerful? I would I would say that he's just that powerful. I mean, he didn't he didn't see him actively use the uh, the Power Stone in the fight. I think ultimately the way we looked at that fight and the way we talked about it with our stunt team when we were executing was Hulk is obviously very powerful, but he's a little mindless in his fighting style. It's aggressive. It's pummeling. Uh, Thanos is the Genghis Khan of the universe Uh, he's a very skilled fighter equally as strong so when you put those two up against each other the more skilled fighter is going to win ultimately which is why Hulk uh, has a moment where he overpowers Thanos but ultimately Thanos is uh, smarter
3: Uh, every Marvel movie does plussing what was the stuff that you
2: plussed in this movie plussing is the process it's a very iterative process working on um uh marvel films where you know you really are blessed as a director we get the opportunity once you put the cut together especially on a movie of this scale with this many moving parts we get to look at it and uh try to decide where you can make the movie better uh and um it's a process of you know, Anthony and I sitting in the room with, uh, editing room with Jeff Ford, our editor who's edited all four of our Marvel films, Mark McFeely uh, and Kevin, and going through uh, the film and just talking about story points, but also showing it to audiences uh, and getting their feedback. Uh, we have a very secretive uh, uh, screening process that we use to test the movies. And so we'll collect information about the story, what people are tracking, what they aren't tracking, things that we're unhappy with, and then we'll look for very surgical ways to fix those issues, and call that plussing. So I'm trying to think specifically in this one where we did pickups.
0: I know it's hard to remember. I think it was. we doing a lot of them Sweetening we fight. Yeah, right. that's right. Because that's we're shooting a four.
2: Yeah, we were yeah. able to. Uh, we still had all the cameras and equipment, things like that. And so, yeah, so while we
0: were shooting A4, we were very deep into the edit on Infinity War. So, um, you know, basically we would leave set every day on Avengers 4 and we'd go into the edit room and start editing Infinity War. I'm trying to think if there's anything specific. Part of what led to me to oh. get pneumonia.
2: Right. We had a scene, uh, we had a different scene with. We actually tried to plus something. It was the park scene between Pepper and Tony. Uh, we did a uh, we had a different scene opening at uh, at the lawn of uh, his home with him looking out. It may even be on the TV. I don't remember. I didn't see it on the D V D. Yeah, um, where uh, where he's looking out and he's uh, he's got the phone from Cap sitting on it. He's like a he's like in a lawn chair and it's resting and he's sort of turning it over in his hand because we wanted to bring that back to the forefront, that he was still um, uh, obsessed with, uh, with the fallout between he and Steve. Uh, and and Doctor uh, and Pepper came out, Dr. Strange uh, came to visit him uh, uh, at his home versus at the park. But ultimately, it felt like the, the park had more energy, and we ended up rolling with that. So sometimes you try to plus things, and it doesn't work out. There's a few deleted scenes on the Blu-ray,
3: are there a lot of other deleted scenes that just never got released?
2: No. Typically, that, no. I think other than that scene I just talked about, I don't know if there's anything else, really. We try to be very, uh, they requires so much money and resources, um, and it's not like the, you, you have limitless resources. Sometimes it feels like it on these movies, but you want to be very uh, accurate and efficient. Um, so we're very hard on our scripts. We do a lot of very disciplined, focused story work in the room with Marcus and McFeely, the four of us sitting around a table ad nauseum, uh, arguing and uh, eating donuts and, um, and, and trying to figure out the best story to tell. And then we're very hard on scenes, and we have this process where we will read through the script out loud, the four of us, um, and stop and go as we go through the script. Why do we need this line? The scene could be half as long. Is this character really having a moment here? Do we need a better moment? So we try to be very aggressive uh, before we get to set with with the plan.
3: Let's talk about Easter eggs in the movie. Are there any that have still not been found?
2: And what are some of your favorites, if any? I always ask us this, and I always forget what Easter eggs we put in the movie. <laughs> Usually it's in the edit room. We're like, hey, what if we did this? Or... I think that's where the Pulp Fiction Easter Egg came up in uh, Winter Soldier. I think we're in the VFX room, and Ample was like, "Why don't we just put that quote from uh, that verse from Pulp Fiction on his um, Bible verse from uh, on his gravestone, um, or the N- Newman's own salad
0: dressing in, in Redford's refrigerator? In Redford's
2: refrigerator. <laughs> uh, things like that happen on set, where you know our prop master was like. Wouldn't it be funny? And we're like, sure. Let's put it in there. Let's make sure Newman's facing out. Um, so what Easter eggs? I mean, oh, what to, Easter eggs have you guys to, seen in this film? Yeah, Anybody th- think of any? Uh,
0: the Tobias. Tobias,
2: yes. There's always a, Blue an man arrested development Easter egg. Was there a guy from the Blue Man group that was there? <laughs> That's Tobias. Yeah. I mean, for some people, it's a Blue Man group, uh, Easter egg for other people. It's an arrested development Easter egg. Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah. Um, there was um, a drape coloration on one of the guys from the Dark Order. I'm sorry, I don't know his name, but it had the color scheme of Captain Marvel. Talking about his, uh, his costume? I mean, there's so it's, many characters. That was, Sometimes maybe a, you're gonna that was an unintentional. You have some Easter similarities. Eggs. Yeah. Fried kebab. Oh, yeah. We'll deep fry your kebab. Has everyone noticed that? Yeah, stuff like that all over the place. Good, you guys know where the Easter eggs are more than we do. Uh,
3: I am curious how what went on behind the scenes for you guys to land these two movies. Was it one of these things where you're in a casual conversation with Kevin and he's like, "So we're going to make these Avengers movies? Uh, are you interested?" I
2: mean, we we had to wrestle Joss Whedon.
0: There's <laughs> like two. There's two, two of, of us. us lasted about 12 seconds (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was real i think it was you know it was it was really what it was the process of making civil war you know civil war was a risky film uh for them to make and you know joe and i were very passionate about doing that specific version of that movie and uh i think as everybody watched that movie come together and everyone realized that oh it was setting the stage so well for what the next Avenger movie would be, I think at that point, you know in Kevin's mind, Disney's mind, you know we became like a uh, uh, the natural choice to sort of carry that story forward that we had laid down in Civil War into these films so I think that 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 was really the moment where uh I think that 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 those the Avenger movies became ours, sure, I am curious though
3: if you remember. What was the. Do you remember the, what like day it happened where Kevin or someone pulled. Because at some point, someone has to say, Do you want to do this? You know, or was it sort of I think like. It was Kevin
2: and Lou, Lou D'Esposito, who's the co president of Marvel. If I remember correctly, we just sat in either Lou's office or Kevin's office. And they're like, So what are you doing for the next 10 years? <laughs> uh,
0: but it was kind of funny. I think, you know, it was strange at that point because because of the way we were ending Civil War, I think we kept talking about like, well, here's where we can go, or here's where we can go. We kept talking so much about where the story could go from there, that I think it almost started to feel like us, like we were making the the next Avenger movie before they gave it to us, so. Uh, Brolin, I'm curious
3: what Brolin looked like on set, and what is it like for the other actors to act with him playing this role and I guess he has, like, a pole on his head or something? Yeah, we don't
2: want to ruin it for you, but he looked ridiculous. Uh, it's You know, you wear these sort of black and white and green pajamas. Uh, 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 Ruffalo, when he portrays the Hulk, has to wear the same pajamas, and he will wear what he calls a modesty cloth over uh, his private... there's
0: the pajamas are skin-tight. They're
2: skin-tight, yeah. Um, and uh, so it's uh, there's tracking balls. So you have little um, what look like uh, ping pong balls stuck to you all over the, your pajamas. And then if you're a character that's taller than a, a human, we have to create an eye line for the other characters. So we'll strap a pole to your back that goes up to the eye line of the character you're playing. So not only do you have pajamas on with ping pong balls and a pole on your back while you're performing, none of the other actors are actually looking at you. They're looking up at the
0: pole. Well, also, they also, for characters like uh, Ruffalo with the Hulk or, or Roland with Thanos, we're face-capturing their movements because we use all of their facial movements. So in addition to the, the outfit, they also wear this crazy head cam that has a camera hanging out here in front of them that's capturing their fa- facial performance. So, over there, everywhere they turn, they have this kind of camera in front of their face. So, it's, it's extremely awkward. But, Brolin, Brolin had a ball with it. Like, it was so ridiculous. He was just like, he goes, This is so crazy. I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I'm in film school again, which is amazing. I love it. You know, he, he was very, very he excited. He said it felt
2: like experimental theater.
3: It turned out pretty good. Uh, a lot of people don't realize uh, that a lot of a movie is based around actor availability. How did the massive cast for this film influence who got paired with who due to actor availability? And did anything get shifted because an actor wasn't going to be available when they needed to be there?
2: None of the actors in this movie are actually on camera in the same scene with each other. They were all shot at different times, and then we CG'd them into scenes.
0: (laughs) But that's the thing, you know, the the cast is so enormous, and you can't, you know, we're shooting over the course of a year or whatever. You can't just say, "Okay, we're buying everybody for a whole year; just sit around till we need you." You know, because our schedule is constantly sh- shifting. So we have to be very judicious about how we structure the production, when we're going to have access to certain actors, how we sort of make that work for the story. But I will say this: even though that's very complicated, that's the tail doesn't wag the dog. What you know, the, what we we always start with: what's the story? What's the story we want to tell? Who are the characters we want to work with? Where do you want to take those character stories? And then we sort of lay that, lay that map out, and then we figure out, okay, well, how are we going to achieve this on a logistical level, considering the fact of actor availability? So you, that's kind of like a, a layer you p- bring into the process after you've sort of laid out the, what is creatively best. That's the one thing Joe and I, and I think why we've stayed with Marvel to make four movies, is that they always put the creative first. You know, They, they never get into a position where they're gonna compromise the the creative potential of what the movie can be for any any reason whatsoever. And that's amazing, and that's very rare for a studio to do. And uh, that's, that's how these houses get built.
3: Did anything
0: actually change, though,
3: because of scheduling?
2: I mean, everything. nothing creatively changes because of scheduling. It's just how easy it. it is for us to actually shoot the movie. Um, I like to shoot things as much in continuity as possible but you know due to scheduling sometimes you're shooting the ending uh at the beginning of the film I think we I think our first day of shooting was when uh um Tony and uh and Peter and the Guardians uh were on uh, uh, Titan um trying to create a plan uh um, to battle Thanos, and that's it's fairly late in the movie. So typically, you don't like to start off uh, uh, with a scene that's two thirds into the film. You want people to get their feet wet on their story arcs. Um, so I think we had to do uh, a lot of the Guardians um, early
0: in the film, if I remember. The other thing we get stuck into doing, which is like if say say there's an actor between two scene, you know, two two actors in a scene, and we only have one of the actors at one time and one at the other time. So what we'll do is we'll have to stage the scene with the first actor who's available to us. We'll shoot the scene, you know, basically shoot only that actor's side of the scene, and we'll use a stand-in double for the other actor. And then months later, when we get the other actor, we'll restage the entire scene and shoot the other side, basically using a stand-in sometimes for the, other, for the, for the first actor. So it's, a, it's an inefficient, kind of complicated way to work, but it's, it's doable. Have to work that way.
3: Uh, now that everyone has seen it, uh, has someone said something about the movie on a message board, or you've seen a
2: tweet or whatever,
3: and you're like, "Oh yeah, we totally missed that."
2: I don't know. What do you? We've been working on another movie. We don't read tweets or message boards. Uh, I don't know. What do we miss? Did we, where do we fuck up? <laughs> Anybody have any continuity problems? Yeah. What do you got? Oh, look at
0: all the hands going up. <laughs> hey, Whoa. Wrong. Okay, next. Is able to take
2: the bread of five stones? Of five stones? Because it's the Thanos, great, it's, yeah. It's the greatest weapon ever made.
0: And th- also, you know, Thanos didn't know what that weapon was. I don't think he knew what he was up against in that.
2: And moment. E and Eitri made both. I remember that. Yep. All right, we got. Yeah. What happened to Cap shielding which part? Well, I think he knocked him I think he knocked Cap to the ground before that if I remember correctly. Right? And then Cap gets up and runs after him, grabs his hand. I think it was always Cap's plan to grab his hand.
0: There's somebody waving him. back there. Is really yeah. right
2: back all the way in the back. Way up there. <laughs> Which scene would that be? Interesting. You must have seen this movie yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. You'd, you'd think we'd be able to match hairstyles from shot to shot, but for some reason, sometimes... This gentleman over here. Why
2: couldn't Dr. String use the sling ring on the donut to get them back home? Why, why couldn't he use it to get them back home? Because, because uh, he didn't want to get them back home. Ooh. Listen to what they... Wait, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push pause.
3: We're totally going to have a, a huge section yeah. of, of fan <laughs> questions because this could go on and we're going to have like a microphone. It's going to be a whole thing. And I think you actually answered this next thing. Is Stormbreaker more powerful
2: than the Infinity? Yeah. Uh, is Stormbreaker more powerful? Uh, yeah. I think, uh, I think it, if I you think watch the y- film, yeah. you, can, you can see that it certainly has the ability to counteract
0: the powers of, of the gauntlet.
2: I think that key moment,
0: though, is this Thanos was caught off guard. He literally did, just didn't know the power of what was coming at him. I mean, maybe he could have used the stones to, you know, in a different way, way. Had, he, had he understood what that weapon was, but it came out of nowhere. At
3: uh, who came up with Chris Pratt trying to imitate Thor's voice?
0: That's a good question. Uh, Chris that, Pratt. I think it was the script. was it? Yeah, it was. It was scripted. Yeah. So it was. Um, you see, here's the thing: like, our we have a very uh, 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 kind of uh, layered process as we develop the scripts, where we sort of try a lot of different ideas, and we um, we experiment with a lot of different things. We'll we'll do several different versions of a scene, and kind of revisit them and compete them against one another. We'll read them out loud in a room to one another and with Marcus and McFeely. So sometimes it's hard to tell. I can't tell you exactly where that came from, but it was, it did, it was in the script. And we've yeah. made four of these movies
2: in six years, so we really can't remember shit. <laughs> uh,
3: the movie has no wasted frames, even with the extended runtime. Uh, what is it like in the editing room, and how did your process directing TV impact
0: uh, the editing process on making these movies? Question: We, we, uh, I mean, look at the edit. There's an there's a filmmaking adage that I think is really great, which is like you know a movie gets made three times over when you write it, when you shoot it, and when you edit it, and it's really true. Each each one of those uh, processes is really produces a very distinct, unique thing that's slightly different than the one that preceded it. So a lot of work happens in the edit room, Um, in the in the same way that like what happens on set can be very different from what is in the script, what happens in the edit room can be very different than than both of those things. So the editing process is very elaborate, very thorough, takes a really long time. And uh, it's, uh, again, I think we go through that same process that I was just talking about with the script. We like to experiment a lot. And that's something I think that we learned in television is we, we move, we make a lot of, we like to work very quickly in the edit room and try a lot of different things because t v you know you're always uh, t v you're always hurling toward a broadcast date, so you have to move very quickly uh, to have an episode ready for when it's supposed to broadcast, or at least you used to back in the day um, but uh so we know how to move quickly, but what, the way we apply that to these movies is we get very experimental in the edit room and we try things many different ways. We do many different versions of scenes, we try structuring the scenes in different ways. Um, It's just a very thorough process where we try to exhaust all possibilities. Well, um, if I'm not mistaken,
3: and I don't want to curse, but maybe a little, don't you have like a process called uh, effing frames?
2: Oh well, yeah, it's um, yeah, we call it frame effing, which means when you uh, when you've got the uh, the film um, uh, in a state where you feel like it's the structure is correct. Uh, and you want to squeeze it, you know, it's still a little uh, um, uh, lengthy. Uh, Then we will go through and start to literally pull frames out of certain takes just to get the rhythm correct and start to pace the movie up. And that's something, again, that we took from our process in television. You're working on an episode of community, and, you know, you're 30 seconds over, but you like every scene that's in the episode, What you can do is go back in and start pulling out frames and pacing and maybe a line goes here and a line goes there and suddenly you've taken 30 seconds out of the show so we do the same process on these movies because we like to keep them tight um i've always said that you know nothing was better longer than it was shorter so we like we like to try to keep it as efficient as possible uh especially when you're trying to create a propulsive narrative where the the villain is ahead of the uh, the heroes. Uh, how close did you come to releasing a longer version of this movie? Not, I mean, not close because I don't know if there's a version that's much longer than this that 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 exists. I mean, again, what 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 deleted scenes did we put on the DVD? Does anybody remember? Yeah. Oh, happy, right? He would have added like a minute. Uh, what else?
3: I think there was one scene with, uh, with Star-Lord uh, that went on longer.
2: It was, uh... Uh, which one? Oh, oh, it was Star-Lord and uh, Drax. That was like a oh. minute and a half
0: or, uh, when they were trying th- to
2: figure out where to go after, uh, after New York, Nowhere. New York
0: Groove. New York yeah, Groove that scene, scene. Yeah.
2: yeah. So it's not... Uh, again, we try to be very efficient in the script process and discipline in the script process. So there's not a lot of stuff that's on the edit room floor in Winter Soldier... Civil War, or or, uh, or this film,
0: and also I should say, like we've always been able to release uh, the exact movie that we wanted to release, uh, so we don't have any, you know, there there's nothing we wanted. Or had we had any regrets about any of yeah. these
2: films. They've been very courteous and supportive of uh, of our of our vision for the films, and you know, we we have a, a tendency towards pacing. So whenever you know people are ten, people tend to argue with us, that we're, uh, we're pacing things up too much. Uh, um, but uh, again, we just like that drive. Uh, I'm sure some of you are sitting there going, uh, uh, I know some boring parts of your films. Um, but uh, we generally like, like to try to keep it, up now. Yes, keep it moving. Uh, was it always your choice to have the Red Skull protecting
3: the Stoltle Stone? And how did he come to know all the rules?
2: Well, he first of all, he had a very mystical ending at the end of uh, uh of Captain America uh um, first Avenger he uh so you know he's been on a journey uh since then he's a he's a wraith now you know he is a slave to the stones uh and uh and he's no longer uh, uh the same person he's transcendent um and uh you know uh, he's a ghost so I think he was always the uh, that character. We may have played around with once or twice, it not being him, but we always thought we need someone that the audience is going to trust that when he explains the rules of how you obtain the stone, that they will believe the character. Uh, and we thought, and I think it was Marcus McFeely fought really hard to have him back in the film.
1: They wrote, They wrote.
0: Marcus and McFeely wrote First Avengers, so they... Uh, they were close to that character. Did Hugo Weaving ever come close to reprising
3: the role?
2: He Maybe, may have. Kind of. <laughs> he, he was asked.
3: I understand. Uh,
2: <laughs>
3: what was the process of figuring out where the Soul Stone would be, considering the hype surrounding it? Uh,
2: it was, we, we knew that um, we needed to do something uh, special with that stone, but we knew that we also needed it to have an emotional connection to the plot and to Thanos as a character. Uh, and it took us, I think that was the last stone that we figured out where it was because that was the hardest story to come up with. Um, and it was really, a, 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 um, you know, when, at a point where we decided that the movie was, was Thanos' movie, we needed the the... Know, the lowest uh, moment of the film to belong to him, um, uh, and, uh, and so that's when uh, we started to develop the Soul Stone story. It was you know how could we how could we create pain? How could we dimensionalize him so that he went on a, uh, a journey uh, in the film? Because if he was just this mindless um, villain, it was going to become a two-dimensional story.
3: Uh, is there the possibility of vision still being part of the Mind Stone since? the procedure was unable to, you know, be finished? I'm
2: sorry, what was that? Vision mindset. Uh,
0: vision step. It's, it's a borderline... Uh... <laughs> we, it's Paul Bettany's uh, been
2: very upset at
0: us. Where's, the, for, uh, where's for, the bonker?
3: Yeah, for <laughs> a year. I got too close on that one, and I'm about to get beeped. Uh, did, uh, did you guys... Was it ever discussed having any
2: of the Netflix characters...
3: Ever in the movie or with no, it...
2: I'm kidding. Yes, we talk about all that stuff, but you can see how many characters there are in the film. It's very difficult when you've got shows that are being written while we're also trying to create movies that are not happening on the same, uh, just from a production standpoint, at the same time as the shows are being produced. It's impossible for us to, you know, cor- correlate story between. You know, three or four other Marvel films that we're borrowing characters from, uh, and then to add in the TV shows on top of it. It just, it just becomes, uh, um, you know, uh, an experiment that would break. And, uh, and so we felt that the best way to tell this story was to stay with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, there's like this fan theory
3: that Peruse uh, is really Loki in disguise. Have you, have you heard this?
2: Loki is dead.
3: (laughs) How do fans' tears taste? Very sweet. (laughs) Uh, How did the other Marvel filmmakers contribute to the story?
2: We're uh, we're talking to everybody all the time. We run into each other in the hallways. We're hanging out with everyone to on set. So you're always you're always sort of, uh, you know, rubbing off on each other. And sort of, What are you doing? What's going on in the film? You know, we've got this scene with so-and-so. What's happening in your movie? Because I think Panther was shooting at the same time. So we had to go over to the Panther set, which was shooting across Atlanta. And we sat with Ryan for a few hours and his uh, design team and um, his DP, and they walked us through... Um, an incredibly elaborate and beautiful presentation of what he was doing with the films before he shot it. And he and I walked out of there and said, oh, holy shit, he's gonna crush that movie. Like, he had, he had thought through it so well, and he was so passionate about it. But that's, that's really how we all, we all work together. But every, everybody's in their own space making their own films. But um, uh, we we have to collaborate; otherwise, uh,
0: uh, this the larger narrative wouldn't make any sense. But I I think the most important way every filmmaker contributes to the rest of the Marvel films is simply by the movie that they're making. You know, it's like once once that movie exists, all the movies that precede yours are, are. You know, we we take all those films very seriously, and we look at what's been done in those films on a storytelling level, on a character level, on a stylistic level etcetera and we just we we ask ourselves well how do we take all that great work, all that great storytelling, all that great cinema and pull that forward into the story we're telling. So that is sort of the biggest influence is just the the film itself that, that they've made. I can't get over this gauntlet as I look at you guys. Is
3: this is this about the size though of what it would actually be? It's very close actually, yeah.
2: We had a we did have a, a, a true life size, a Thanos True Life Size Gauntlet on set and that looks Pretty accurate. I mean,
3: obviously this, this stone is a little big, Yeah, but whatever, uh, it, looks, it looks fantastic. Um, talk a little, I'm curious about the action set pieces. Uh, describe how an action scene in Infinity War gets put together. How much is it on the page, exactly what's happening? How much is it relying on, you know, the animatic team? And like, for example, let's talk about where in Wakanda when all of them are getting ready to fight those creatures and the shield is up and all that like how much is that scripted and how how does that all get put together
2: it's a very it's a very painstaking process and it involves all the departments and you know we're anthony and i have a natural collaboration because we're brothers and we've been directing together for 25 years and and you know we're we're of the ethos that best idea wins and uh we have this incredible group of people that we've been collaborating with on all these movies. Uh Dan Deleu, our VFX supervisor, Sam Hargrave, uh our uh stunt coordinator also did second unit you know, directing on this, who's who's directing um Chris Hemsworth in uh in a film uh in, in Thailand right now. Um so everything's sort of interconnected and everybody's you know, we, we, we all have a Vulcan mind meld with each other. And uh and Marcus and you know Action for us has to be driven by story and character. So we, we find out what the story beats are and the character beats are that we want to uh, highlight in the action sequence. How is the movie turning? And what happens in that action sequence? Uh, and then we try to collectively define how we how we get to those points. And it's a very iterative process that takes many, many months sometimes uh, and uh, and you know sometimes we get the action figures out on a table in a in a boardroom. Other times we'll get the stunt players out and and go down to the the stunt uh, gym and, uh, and 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 play around with uh, some potential uh, sequences. Uh, the stunt team will shoot what we call stunt viz, uh, where they will uh, they'll execute a, a sequence based on all of our notes and things that are written in the script, and sometimes they'll take some liberties to try and highlight story more, and then they'll bring that to us, and then we'll watch it and we'll note it. Sometimes we'll come up with ideas for dialogue uh, from the way that the sequence is playing out, Uh, and so that process will go back and forth. Dan DeLue and his team will work on uh, previs for CG sequences. So things that tend to happen uh, in CG usually are handled in previs for us, is how we try to break things up. And things that um, things that are practical, where you, you actually have characters physically uh, fighting each other, uh, like the uh, like like the Natasha uh, Koye, uh, uh Proxima fight, you know, is that's executed by the stunt team. Um, and uh, and so we we will sit in a room and divide up. Okay, stunt team, you're going to take this. Previous team, you're going to take that. Uh, and then there's some great storyboard artists that we work with as well who. Bring incredible ideas to the table that then usually turns into previs.
3: I'm curious about uh, Thor's powers. There are certain scenes in this where he is getting his ass kicked in, and then there's other scenes where he responds very quickly. Um, Have you guys had the conversation about where the line is, where his power is, how much, you know, beat down can he take?
2: I mean, the thing that we love most about Thor is that he's a very emotional character. Uh, and um, as uh, as godlike as he is, there's a massive insecurity uh, uh, inside of him about his role, uh, you know, who he is, who he truly is, uh, who he's truly meant to be. Uh, and he carries around an incredible amount of guilt. And I think that he, you know, like any great athlete, can have moments where he takes himself out of the game mentally. And other moments where uh, where he is inspired and passionate and driven, uh, and uh, you know I think he also has has an ego, and his, and, and his ego can sometimes get the better of him, which is why we've said in the past that you could you could ultimately put the blame for the snap on Thor because he threw the axe at Thanos' chest rather than his head, uh, so that he could tell Thanos that he got his revenge, but. This is what we love about the characters, is ultimately they're very human, and they make human mistakes. Uh, and if the characters didn't make any mistakes, and they weren't flawed, we think it would be a, these stories would be a lot less interesting.
3: Uh, I absolutely love Chris Hemsworth's performance in this movie. I think that almost everyone, we all agree. <laughs> just, just backing up for, for I mean, he, I think he's incredible in the movie, and like, really, uh, like the heart. Uh, Talk a little bit about working with Chris and crafting this performance um,
0: for this movie. It was a pretty incredible experience because, again, like Joe was saying earlier, Black Panther was being executed while we were um, sort of executing our own stuff. So was Ragnarok, really. So that whole uh, turn that the character took in Ragnarok didn't exist yet on film when we started conceiving the character for this movie. So it did take a lot of conversations uh, between us and uh, both Taika and Chris uh, to sort of understand where they were going with the character, what was happening with the character there, and then sort of figure out how we were going to pull that into our movie. Um, we knew we wanted to take a big swing with the character. Uh, we, we sort of understood the idea of how low the character was brought by the end of Ragnarok, meaning Asgard being destroyed. Um, and sort of thinking. I mean, for us, it was kind of similar. Where we picked up Captain America's story uh, in Winter Soldier with this idea that Cap had lost everything, uh, being a man out of time, being stuck in the modern day now after having lost his whole life in the nineteen forties. Um, Thor was in a kind of a similar place in the sense that he had been stripped of everything, that his home, sort of, you know, in in many ways, and. We love, like Joe was saying earlier, when you're dealing with characters with superpowers, especially characters like Thor, who, who has, have, has extraordinary powers, You know, the only way to make those characters interesting is to find out where their limitations are. And if you can't find their limitations, or many limitations in what they can do on a physical level, you have to find those limitations inside them, in, in mentally and spiritually inside the character. And so that's what's so fun about exploring Thor as a character, and I think one reason why he may have come out as a rich character in this film is because we had to work very hard to figure out how we undermine that character on an emotional level.
2: Yeah, when you watch the movie, it, it, there is a, you're walking a line as you, in this film, the way that the script was executed between whose film it ultimately is. Is it Thor's movie or is it Thanos's movie? Uh, had, he, had Thor put the axe in Thanos' head, it would have been Thor's movie. He didn't, so it becomes Thanos' movie. But the two of them are on a collision course from the opening scene of the film to the end of the movie and one of them is going to win, ultimately. And Thor virtually kills himself in order to get the weapon to destroy uh, Thanos, puts himself in a position to have the opportunity to do it, and ultimately uh, loses. So, uh, um, you know, that, uh, as Ant said, that I think is what makes him uh, so compelling.
3: Uh, what was it like filming uh, stan Lee 's cameos over the course of your guys 's career and, uh, also, uh, what has he meant to you as uh, you know
2: working with him and you know we, we meet a lot of people in this business and there 's very few people that uh, you lock up around you know where you get really nervous and I think a lot of it that typically happens around people that had a major impact on you as a child you know there's something about the emotional uh memories of uh of, of things that inspired you and led you to the point that you are in your life and obviously comic books were a massive influence on us creatively and the mythology behind comic books and and you know many of the books we read were were you know you know, part of Stan's creations, and uh um you know having him on set we were always like kids, you know You're just hearing his voice uh growing up watching the uh man cartoon um, uh, you know these were things that were you know really, really important to us creatively, so it was always a blast, and he was always a lot of fun to have on set and you know it was a you know whenever he came on set, the crew would light up. Uh, you know, and uh, part of the the fun of sitting in that uh, uh, writing room, eating donuts, and yelling at each other for eight months about what the best scenes were, uh, was figuring out what Stan's cameo was going to be.
3: Was he one of these people that always wanted to do another take?
0: I mean, he, look for his age, He he, when he would hit set, he had he was just exuberant. The energy that he would bring to set, especially at his age, was was stunning. Uh, you can tell he just loved to be there. It lit him up. He, Like Joe said, he lit everybody else up around him. So, yeah, he was the kind of guy, he always wanted more lines. He always wanted more. He always wanted to do more, which is fantastic. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's just, you know, even, even, I mean, it was a great lesson that sort of even for these small moments, you know, he's bringing everything to the table that he possibly can to make the most of the moment. And I think that was part of what's so special about him.
3: With his cameos, was it one of these things where you would tell him in advance what it was going to be, or is it sort of like just come to set Tuesday, we're going to figure it out?
0: No, we tell him because sometimes it took you know take a little preparation in terms of costuming, you know, it, so you know that stuff had to be, be worked out.
3: Did he ever say no to a to a cameo in terms of the character he was going to play?
0: Just that just that
2: one nude scene we pitched. <laughs> um, it was uncomfortable. We said, okay, don't worry about it. Uh, the um, no, I mean he always was game for any cameo. I think his joke on set always was, uh, "How come I only get one line?" You know.
3: <laughs> uh, does Thanos pay a physical price for using the fully powered Infinity Gauntlet?
2: Does Thanos pay a physical price? Yeah. 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 It's did. evident in the movie. My
3: my my question though, shit, I'm getting into. Like, I you right said the, a
2: physical price?
0: Yeah yeah well you well, see him at the you know that an emotion, his daughter is
2: an emotional price but the physical price is you'll see it if you pause your dvd right before he uses it to go back into the portal uh away from thor while he's got the axe in his chest his arm is burnt to a crisp and it's uh so the physical price is the extreme power that it took in order to enact his plan uh he paid for physically when he sits down on the steps at the end of the movie uh you can see that it actually carries up into his neck and onto his face. He's also walking with a limp there, and yeah, totally.
3: Yeah. Uh, I have so many more questions, but that's about five months away. Uh, was the film always going to end with him smiling at the sunset?
0: You know, we we've certainly explored other ideas, but that idea was around for a, a long time, and we 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 knew it was. Uh, you know, again, we we we. Thought It was very early on in the development process where we, along with Marcus and McFeely, started to think about it as Thanos' movie and started structuring the film as if he was the lead of the film. So starting the movie with him, ending the movie with him, uh, and sort of coming up with those very sort of hero-like arcs as he moved through the movie, like Joe was mentioning with with that low point that he has uh, with Gamora having to obtain the Soul Stone. that, you know, the entire movie is structured around those kinds of ideas. So uh, the idea that he, he could achieve what he was looking for and that he can have a moment of, of peace with it and that he was serving something, he was serving an idea larger than himself, uh, was part of what, we, we like complicated villains. And that's sort of, uh, you know, part of what makes Thanos, um, at least in his own mind, heroic the VFX on the character are incredible,
3: and the VFX in this movie are incredible. Talk a little bit about maybe what were some of the ridiculously complicated shots that you were working on till the very end.
2: I mean, I think everything with Thanos for us was breathtaking. I mean, when we saw the footage early on, we were very worried. I mean, he's a large, even as comic book fans, he's a large purple character who could look like Grimace if we did our jobs poorly. And uh, not feel intimidating uh, at all. And uh, we saw tests very early on that were just incredible. Uh, And we knew that they could translate Brolin's performance down to, uh, uh, you know, every muscle in his face. Um, And uh, so I think all the work they did with Thanos in the movie is just spectacular. Hardest stuff in the film, I think, is probably. Uh, uh, Titan, the Battle on Titan, and, and Wakanda. I mean, those are very complicated. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of those as a third act of a movie is a massive uh, uh, film. Uh, having both of them intercut with the scale of fighting that's going on and the amount of CG work that was required for both of them is just, you know, astounding. So, hats off to uh, Dan DeLue, our uh, our VFX supervisor.
3: Completely. Uh, you shot this and Avengers 4 with IMAX cameras, the whole thing. How did that affect the shooting schedule, if at all?
0: You know, it, it doesn't really affect the shooting schedule anymore, because once the digital camera was developed, I mean, that was part of the, part of the complication for people like us to use IMAX cameras in the past was the, the size of the cameras, because we like to have a very active camera. We like to move it a lot, move it quickly, um, and when you have a large, cumbersome camera, it sort of compromises how you can move the camera, and that was always an issue for us. But on Civil War, we, uh, for the first time, we were able to use a new camera called the Arri sixty five, which was uh, made compatible with the IMAX uh, process in a way that we can shoot on a on a on a on a, a respectably sized camera. Um, in, in the full IMAX dimensions um, for the first time. So that opened up a whole new uh, world of possibilities for us with IMAX by by them by that, by that technological innovation of coming up with that camera, a camera that was uh, better sized for us. Um, so that, that was, in, I'm sorry, what was the question about the... I'm,
3: I'm just curious if it added any, but it sounds like it didn't, yeah. any, any uh, scheduling things. Oh yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah, no, because again, that, that, was, that, was, uh, that was sort of what... That camera finally got to the point where it could become a part of our process rather than us having to become a part of its process. So.
3: I've spoken to some DPs, like, like a Roger Deakins. He shoots with one camera on set. There's no coverage. It's just what he's shooting. How much are you guys shooting with multiple cameras on set? And you know what I mean? Talk a little bit about that shooting
2: process. Depends on the style of the film we're executing with Winter Soldier. We're shooting... At least you know three cameras on every setup, but that was the look of that film. We wanted a verite, grounded, handheld look. Uh, we wanted to capture interesting angles that felt natural. Uh, get foreground. We tend to you know tend to when you're running three cameras. Typically, your A camera's is um, handling um, what we would call the meat and potatoes of the scene, where you're trying to get two eyes on the actor. You you want to capture emotion. A B camera. Uh, is then trying to uh, uh, you know just off of that A camera capture something maybe slightly wider, and then if you have a C camera running, they're usually because there are two other cameras forced into a really uh, awkward position on the set, which tends to create some of the best shots uh, because they're riskier shots. And so we liked we liked running uh, three cameras on uh, Winter Soldier and Civil War because that was the look. That's Cap's look. It was tied to him in those movies any War, we ran a single camera on a majority of the setups, except when there's action or stunts involved, where there's an explosion that's very expensive, or a stunt player doing something that is, uh, um, you know, very difficult, and you want to make sure that you don't have to ask them to do it again, so you're, you're trying to capture as many angles as you can on it to make sure you get it correctly.
3: Some uh, directors love the Eastwood method of shooting, like the rehearsal and a take or two, and others are more like, you know, there's a David Fincher method of 50, 60 takes. How do you typically like to work on set and has it
0: changed through your career? Like Joe was saying, it, it is a function of what style we're trying to use, you know? If you're going for more of that verite look that we and that naturalism and, and the feeling of being there in the room as things are unfolding, uh, like we were sh- uh, that that look that we developed in Winter Soldier, specific to Cap, then yeah, you can go without a lot of rehearsals because part of the sloppiness is, that comes from not having rehearsed actually feeds that sense of realness because you know the camera is capturing things in a slightly imperfect way and it makes it gives it a little more of a documentary feel. Um, but if we're going for, like Joe was saying, as we moved into more of like a a more specific framing that we used in, in Infinity War, that becomes a, an entirely different process to achieve that. One where you want all the elements in the shot working properly before you execute it. So um, it's a little bit of, it, it's again, again, it just depends on what you're going for. But throughout our careers, we've employed many different methods. Certainly in, when we, you know, in a lot of our comedies, when you're shooting comedy, we want to be very experimental and loose and fresh. Comic performers are sort of at their best when they can, when they don't have to repeat things over and over and over again, uh, when they can be very uh, uh, uh spontaneous and, and fresh, so you, you know we, we will we'll structure our 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 process around like what we're trying to achieve uh who ruined the most takes and why Who ruined the most't oh, no. yeah it's
2: always you can always default yeah. Mackey to Mackey. Uh, anytime anyone has, and we've noticed this, that, that any of the actors have to say plots over sort of character interaction dialogue. Uh, so when someone's trying to explain something scientific, uh, it usually requires five takes before they get the line right. And I think it's just because they're not emotionally processing what they're saying because most of it is made up of science. So I think it takes them a while. To remember uh, um, the lines.
3: Uh, do you guys own any movie or TV show props? And what did you hypothetically borrow from the set of your Marvel movies?
2: Again, we've been so busy for six years that we we'll get to we forget to take stuff. Uh, um, but uh, I think we have a few shields lying around. Or maybe a gauntlet. Um, uh, not like this, of course. Yeah. Right. Yes. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's about it. Uh,
3: well, I ask my... Uh, let's see. Are they set up? Okay, so here's the deal, everyone. I don't want... Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have questions, and we're going to open it up to the audience. I just want to make sure there's not, like, some sort of crazy rush at the microphones. But you guys ever been to Comic-Con and Hall H? Well, we have two mics right there and
2: right there. <laughs> Just a reminder, no no A4 questions, no trailer questions. uh, Do you think Marvel ever makes Secret Wars, for real, with Beyonder? I I don't know. I don't think that, like, you know, I think Kevin always has a plan in his head, but he's always ready to throw out the plan and adjust the plan because you never know how the movies are going to turn out. You want to make sure that each movie in front of you is a good movie. And if you're trying to, if you're thinking about the movie past it, then you're not focusing all of your energy on the movie that's in front of you.
3: I have to say that I've been doing these screenings for three years. This is the biggest room we've done for the screenings, but this is easily the most questions I have ever seen. Um, So let's start on the right side and then we'll go right left. Is that all right with you guys? Yep, let's do it. So you both are a great team together, but being brothers and partners, were there moments where you faced creative differences on parts and to negotiate? If so, which scenes did you really fight?
0: Good I mean, question. Yeah, great question. I mean, that's very much a part of our process. I mean, we like the fact that we have different ideas, and then we have to sort through those ideas t- together. Like Joe said earlier, this we have this concept of best idea wins. So our process is basically pitching one another what we think we should do and sort of working through it and and figuring out, you know, what the right way to go is, and sometimes we do disagree, but that ends up that that often allows us to just bore in on something even harder and really figure out the best way to attack it.
2: Left
3: side. Hi guys, uh, thanks again for being here. I got a really nerdy ass question, so if you it will indulge me. Uh, In this movie, Tony Stark says that it's been six years since the first Avengers movie And Thanos has been in his head the entire time But in Spider-Man Homecoming, there's a title card that says eight years since the first Avengers movie
2: We didn't make Spider-Man Homecoming
3: (laughs) So they screwed up, right? They they totally screwed up, right? It is six years officially canon after the first Avengers movie Yeah, whatever
2: we said is right
3: That's right! Thank you guys. Right side. Hi, so I know Frosty talked about the arm after the snap, but the gauntlet looked really mangled. Does that mean he can't use it anymore or will uh, it recover?
2: E- every uh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. One can't, can't use it ever anymore his, it's it's uh, his arm is uh, is fucked up. And anything Thank attached you. to his arm is fucked up. Which character was affected the most emotionally by the end of the film and how will that affect them going forward? Like who We can answer the first part of your question. Uh, I I don't know. I think they were all devastated. Uh,
0: Anybody who's left is going to
2: have massive survivor's guilt.
0: I I always think about uh, Okoye, sort of, you know, her job, her mission in life is to protect the king. And so so for her to have to watch him disappear in front of her eyes, that must have been really hard for her. I imagine that must have hurt.
3: Uh, I love the pairing of the characters, especially like Doctor Strange with Iron Man and
2: uh, Thor with the Guardians. Was there a pairing that you and the writers talked about that maybe didn't work, or that you thought about that it, was it in the oh, Man, we can't remember back that far. Uh, there were probably
0: many pairings that didn't work. Yeah, we had a lot of I cards them, yeah. with
2: magnets of every character, and they would shift all the time. But what would if we put these three together? What about those three? So I think I think we probably talked about every possible pairing. Left side.
1: Are you guys working on anything for the new Disneyland rides?
2: No, we don't. I mean, we, you know, I think once or twice we've been in a room with the Imagineers and, you know, just sort of talked about what we're doing with the films and what's important to us. And then they go away and they imagine things and then we get excited when we, when we get to get on the rides. But, uh, I, you know, that's, that's part of the, one of the
0: fun perks of the job
2: is your pitching process like when you reveal big plot points like Kevin Feige or Bob Iger, like the Disney or
0: Marvel? Team? Um, basically, first of all, our process is basically with Kevin. You know, not, not so much with Bob Iger. Uh, we do interact with Iger, but it typically is much later in the process once we've got the film made. Um, so our process is basically like, you know, we just go, like Joe said, our pro- we basically lock ourselves in a room with Marcus and McFeely for months and months and months. And sort of think about every possibility, uh, every 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 story possibility we can. We all talk ourselves into like what 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 ideas are sort of exciting us most, and then we bring Kevin into that process. So that's that's really the uh, the flow. Left. Um,
2: I'd ra- I'd like to ask this question not to you guys as directors, but as fans of the Marvel Universe. After watching the full product uh, on screen, um, watching everyone perish by the snap of Thanos, who would you personally wanted to have saved from the snap? For those who actually died. Who, who personally would we have wanted to save? I mean, I don't know. We've uh, just so that we didn't have to face a, a, a crying ten-year-old boy. Uh, probably Peter Parker. Um, <laughs> I
0: thought you but, said the
3: fans' tears taste good.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not 10-year-old tears don't you? Yeah, 10-year-old
2: good. tears are salty. Uh, the, uh, but uh, I, that's the fun answer to your question. Thank uh,
0: you. Which comic character would you like to direct the MCU debut for? Like a character that hasn't appeared yet, what would you like to do?
2: Crew the Wanderer. <laughs> Anybody? I got Anybody? That. Come on, we have some comic book collectors here, right? Yeah. Sergio, come on.
0: I'm hoping that since you guys have done the, I've been personally involved in more of MC movies than anybody else, you have more insight into this, which is, uh, clearly when Iron Man was made, I don't think they knew that Winter Soldier killed Iron Man's dad. But when you guys made the end of Winter Soldier, and uh, Black Widow tells Captain America, careful what you find there, and that pays off in in, uh, Civil War as Tony Stark found out that, you know, what happened. Did you guys know about that when you came on board Winter Soldier? Were you told that, or is that something you came up with during the Civil War? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we came up with something we came back. up with just to make the story richer. Um, that came after the, after the point you're talking about. Yeah. Right side. Right, uh,
2: this is for my sister Allie, who's obsessed with Mr. Tony Stark. Uh, you said in the Infinity War commentary that Tony and Peter's relationship is integral to the emotional core of the film. What is going through Tony's mind when he realizes he couldn't save him? I think it, I think he's feeling like he lost a child.
0: I think it, uh, it's about
2: as painful as it could get for him.
0: Were there
3: any scenes that read a certain way when they were just in script form, but changed completely in tone once the actors had a hold of them?
0: Yeah, that I mean. The the scene we we that was brought up earlier where Thor meets the Guardians, you know, especially when he and uh, Thor and uh, uh, Star Lord start to square off with one another. That even though it was again that scene was specifically scripted, it took on a whole new life once the once once the actors got it on its feet. I mean that was you know that was comic acting at its best. That was one of that was a really thrilling day on set. I mean to see those guys take that sort of difficult complicated material on the page and sort of get it on its feet in a, in a, w- like, in a way that was uh, so fun and so crazy and so unpredictable, but also held together and was grounded, that was a, that was a pretty magical day.
2: Thank you. All right. Hi. Concerning the characters that disappear at the end of the movie, were the characters that were chosen to, to disappear, was that always a set thing at the beginning of the creative process, or do you guys have to kind of like discuss them? This person might disappear or whatever. No, I think we we always knew we wanted the story to end. That was one thing that we knew
0: from the very, very beginning. Oh hi. Uh, I just want to say, first of all, like it was a great movie. Uh, I was just wondering, like, since the Az Brothers, it's unique, like two minds working on like one movie. Was there any times during the set where you guys have like different perspectives during a scene? And like how would you guys like handle that?
2: We would wrestle you
3: got what what was the last time you guys really fought over
2: i don't know the
0: last thing we really fought over yeah it was earlier today in the edit room but we can't uh,
3: Yeah. wait are you you're making another
2: movie
0: yeah we are we're working on something right now
2: got it uh, uh hi from a from a technical standpoint, making these movies can again be really technical. So, from uh, an emotional aspect, what was the most emotional scene to shoot? Hmm.
0: I mean, I think uh, I Thanos think, Gamora was a yeah very, emotional a very scene. tough scene. I mean, we really wanted to make that. You know, we ran at the at the at the full complexity and depth of what that scene was, and that you know the way. We worked with both of those actors, with Zoe and Josh on that scene. Uh, was you know we we very much grounded it in the complexities of that relationship. Uh, I mean, it's a huge you know a huge tragedy at the center of the, at yeah. the film.
2: Zoe's amazing in the scene, uh, and it's you know it's a story of a of an abuser uh, and his victim, and he wins. So it's a very uh, painful scene.
0: What's your favorite MCU movie that you haven't worked on, and why? Well, I think it, Iron Man, the original Iron Man. Just cause it, you know, it, was the, it was the first film. It was our introduction to the whole thing. I remember when I saw that movie, I was just like blown away by it. And I was like, whoa, we, I can't believe we didn't make that, didn't make that movie. <laughs> Little did I know we would get a chance to uh, play in that sandbox someday.
3: Uh, Joe, did you have a favorite?
0: Uh Iron Man. <laughs> Which character would you like to see
2: live in the MCU? I know you mentioned The Wanderer and a little bit about Secret Wars for storyline,
0: but who do you think you would love to see in the next few years?
2: I not know, that's a tough question. A lot of my favorite characters are already on screen. All the characters I used to collect as a kid. Who who do you want to see? X Men. <laughs> as a part of the MCU. Yeah. Yeah. Well. It's coming. I'm like first
3: week I think it's the first week of January. You know? So it's
0: crazy to me that the Phase 3 reveal was already four years ago, and to quote Doctor Strange, we're in the endgame now. Uh, how did it feel to be at the El Capitan with all the anticipation of this whole lineup of movies to now being six months out of Avengers 4?
2: It's like a whirlwind, but I, you know, I think the, our favorite part, because we are such huge comic book fans and movie fans, and we, we were you uh uh before we started doing this and so we understand the feeling of seeing something that you're passionate and emotional about and characters that you care about and you grew up with um so for us when we show these films especially premieres when you know people are seeing them for the first time and reacting to to them for the first time it makes all of the hard work of making these movies worth it as a fan of IMAX, it's incredible that you shot Infinity War and Avengers 4 uh, completely in that format than with Civil War. But
0: how come, uh, with no changing aspect ratios, the IMAX format did not make it the Blu-ray?
2: Did not make the Blu-ray? Yeah. That's an IMAX question, mm. frankly. Uh, they uh, they have agency over that format. Uh, and, uh, and it's complicated. It's about the best answer I can give you. But... Uh, we spent uh, a, a long time uh, trying to make that happen. Yep. Does not mean that you won't won't see it in, in uh, you know after theatrical at some point yep. uh, in uh, in, a, in IMAX
0: format? Hi, uh, Thor's entry into Wakanda is arguably one of the greatest scenes in the MCU, and uh, along with Alan, uh, Silvestri's uh, main Avengers scene, that was epic. Yep. Um, so where did like with it being Thanos' story? Did you, like, it kind of became a climax moment of the film. Did you know this ahead of time, and was this purposeful? Sorry, did we know what ahead of time? Did you know that this would be, like, such a, like a false misleading moment in the film? So yeah, like, yeah, we've spent a lot
2: of time working on those kinds of moments over the years for you guys. Uh, when uh, Fury, quote-unquote, dies in Winter Soldier, we knew we had to spend a certain amount of time with the characters absorbing that emotionally, because you've all become so good at watching narrative that you're predictive now and uh if you uh if we didn't ascribe the right amount of screen time to that character's death you wouldn't believe it uh and so the same thing holds true when we're um trying to tell a story where we don't want you to think that the villain is going to win uh we have to give you a hero that you think is going to win the story and he has to have those uh, those moments that will make you believe that he's going to win, like his arrival in Wakanda. Thank you. Why is it you guys decided to use Stormbreaker and not Beta Ray Bill at all in the film? So many
0: characters. <laughs> he's the owner Beta, of Stormbreaker Beta Ray,
2: Beta Ray Bill has been discussed many times. He's one of my favorite characters as a kid, but you know, it's just really where functionally where does where does he fit? You know, we've we've got a lot of characters that you care about that we're trying to tell stories about a long-term, uh, you know, a long arcing narrative about. And um, uh, and when, you know, new characters come into the world, they have to have an effect on the story. Otherwise, there's no value in introducing them. And, you know, we just didn't have a space in a, f- a film like this to do that.
0: I mean, we, to be honest with you, you know, we we didn't ever... When we were starting this, we didn't know if we could pull off the number of characters that we ended up pulling off, because there was no there's no model for a movie with this many characters in it. You know, there's no sort of, nothing you can look back, there's no structure you can look to and lean on that says, oh, here's here's how a narrative can be built with this number of characters. So we really, the whole, the whole process was us just sort of figuring out how do you take even the number of characters we had and sort of pay them off all properly in a story. Personally, what's your favorite moment or scene from the movie and what?
2: Oh, it depends on the day, I think, yeah. but I, I love Thor's arrival in Wakanda. I think it really has you know big payoff in the movie, and this is a comic book geek. That's a that's a moment that makes me excited uh, when I watch it. But I think some of the more emotional moments would probably be um, our true favorites, just because those are the things that we feel uh, um, you know impact uh, you, the audience, the most uh, that impact the characters the most. We try to take if you go back and look at all of the films that we've done for Marvel, we try to take really big swings narratively with each of the movies, because you know, I't like I said, I sat in Empire Strikes Back five times in a row for a reason because it had a massive emotional impact on me, and it's something that you know it's a reason I'm making movies now, and we want to try to pass those kinds of moments uh, onto uh, uh, um, uh, you know, moviegoers that uh, someday maybe it will inspire them uh, um, um, to uh, to tell stories.
0: I mean, in that spirit of those moments, uh, I would cite them. You know, when when Wanda has to destroy Vision stone, I mean, that's a really a heartbreaking uh, experience to to watch and to have to have the stage. So I, I just sort of there's the, the the sort of nobility in that in that in her character in both of those characters in that moment is really. Affecting to me.
2: Hi, um, when Doctor Strange is looking at multiple outcomes, uh, was there a reason why he chose the number fourteen million six hundred five, or was that just an arbitrary number? Uh, I think we just sh- one of us shouted that out in the writers' room.
0: Maybe Marcus and McFeely might give you a different answer. I'm not sure.
2: Um, Thanos's farm. A few months ago, a concept artist released the work he did on the movie, and he had a piece of the farm. The uh, the caption on the piece said, Titan Thanos Farm. Is that farm on Titan, maybe in the past? Uh, No, I think that, uh, I'm not sure why. Oh, you know what? Um, We always would just refer to uh, uh, whatever uh, planet he's on as Titan 2, you know, and I think they probably just didn't put the 2 in there uh, as, uh, you know, he, he found a new home.
0: Are mostly for Avengers 4. So, in that regard, is it okay if you guys sign my comic books?
2: Sure, man. We'll find you. No worries. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing about these Marvel movies is that they show this sense of uh, idealism that a hero can be anyone, no matter what uh, attribute or power that they have. With that being said, has there been talks, you guys mentioned, in talks with Marvel and Kevin, of maybe having a Latino or a Latina? Representation with the Avengers—I think that'd be pretty awesome to see. I mean, i, I think uh, we, you know, we don't want to spoil anything that's in the works, but you know, uh, I think that you'll—you'll you'll find that um, that uh, that the Marvel Universe is going to continue to diversify. Yeah. Uh, what was your first comic book, and how did you get exposed to it? Uh, I got handed a box of comics from my uncle, who was about 24 at the time, and he was like, here, here you go, I'm done with my collection, you take it. And uh, there's probably 100 books in there, and I think, um, I think I read them all in about three days. Um, I'm trying to remember what the first one I read was. It might have been a, it might have been a team-up book. Um, but they were, uh, uh, they were all sort of late 60s, early 70s comics.
0: And I would just draft off of Joe's collections.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Okay, um, my question is, um, it, it's it's about the Asgardian
0: refugees. I was wondering when Thanos did his snapshot, like did half of them just die again, or were they spared because he just killed half of them? And nope. about the other H- Half of them, them died been. again. Seriously, <laughs> that's harsh. Yeah. That's
2: harsh. It's Thanos. Hi. What prompted you to put Rocket and
0: Thor together? I love their chemistry and would love to see more of them together. Maybe they can have their old movie called As Guardians of the Galaxy?
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes, I like it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were really, we, we had this um, phrase that we'd use in the writer's room that we called strange alchemy and had nothing to do with Dr. Strange. It just meant peculiar alchemy. What what kind of chemistry could we create by putting characters who had never been together before uh, in uh, on, on, uh, on a journey or in stories together? And Rocket and Thor just felt fun to us.
0: And there's also an interesting, I think, spiritual connection between those two characters, in that you know, there's something very dark and broken in Rocket's history, and Thor is in a very similar place. So. If to find somebody who's going to sort of recognize that Thor needs, needs to be uh, reached out to and uh, and needs a little help for that, it seemed appropriate to be Rocket. All right.
1: So my question is, um, as a big fan, and I know you guys are big fans as well,
0: um, with uh, new villains. I mean, who would you guys say would be like your favorite villains? My personally was like MODOK, uh, Doctor Doom, um, Super Scroll with the Scrolls being introduced. So like, what would you guys say is like a villain you'd like to see on the big screen?
2: I always loved Dr. Doom as a kid. Um, too, uh, I'd love to see uh, Dr. Doom again.
1: I would definitely love yeah. Dr. Doom to be back and done the right way. Yeah. <laughs> you said it. I
2: didn't say that.
0: Hi. Um, in response to uh, We Don't Trade Lives... Uh, Vision asks, well reminds Steve Rogers that he did, he traded his life 70 years ago
2: and asks him why the uh, present situation is any different. Um, I was hoping either of you or both of you could share what you think Steve Rogers would have answered.
0: Why the present situation is different, I think, I think because Cap is always going to look, you know, because they haven't gotten to that point yet where that was their only option, you know. Cap's always going to look for a way to keep moving forward and to not go there. You know, Cap. You know, when Cap did it, had to make that choice, it was his only choice to make. And when Vision sort of brings that up in that context, Cap 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 refuses to accept it. However, uh, you know, sadly, Vision ends up getting to the point where that is the only choice, and Vision rec- recognizes that as well when he gets to that moment and when he asks uh, Scarlet Witch to destroy the stone. So um, I think that's really what's at the heart of it is, is figuring out how to fight any way you can until your only option is, is self-sacrifice.
1: I wanted to say that um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Captain America Winter Soldier movie as well. And um, I wanted to know, I don't know how true this is with the Disney streaming service, but there, there was a rumor that came out a few weeks ago about there being a Winter Soldier and Bucky spinoff. Would you guys be... Uh, Winter Soldier and Falcons? Spoon? Yes, that. Um, would you guys be directing that? or uh, so you know If
2: that? there is one, we're, we're not involved with it. Oh, okay. I, I need them helming the
3: uh, Spider-Man Wolverine movie. That's right.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, of all the characters that showed up in this movie, was there any character you possibly wanted to have more screen time in the final cut than they actually got? Oh, Wow. No, I mean, I think I think the the movie played out the way that it needed to play out.
0: Hi, uh, since you've worked with Marvel already for several several years, what would you say that they look for when they hire directors for their films? I think the I think the, they're looking to be surprised. I think that's part of the secret to their success. Is they. This is something we learned when we went in. Is like Marvel doesn't want you to come in there and tell tell them what they're thinking already thinking. They want you to come in there and tell them something they weren't already thinking. That's when they get excited, because uh, they you know they know that that's the secret to their success. They have to keep bringing fresh ideas into the table and uh, fresh perspectives and uh, find out ways to like not, not only to surprise themselves so that they can surprise audiences. So. I think that's uh, one thing that we we came in with a very strong point of view on Captain America, Winter Soldier, and I think that's what lit them up. So, you can't see the picture from this distance, obviously, but this is me, Avengers Infinity War, premiere night in a tuxedo, so I really wore a tuxedo just to show my hype and admiration for the film. A lot of my friends were calling me bomb and thought I was awesome, a lot thought I was outlandish. I would be able to live peacefully if I knew the Russos gave me props for repping a tuxedo for that night.
2: You, you wore a tuxedo to the premiere? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah.
0: And you, it, it was you, get no ma-
2: you get major props for that, man. Yeah. How come you didn't wear the tuxedo that's, tonight? That's the way to do it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, I didn't want to overwhelm everybody. I just wanted to enjoy you guys' presence. I can't take the time, you know? Thank so, you, man. Thank you, guys. Yep. Thanks, Thanks, man. You, cool to um, hear. Hi. Uh, as a fan, uh, I've probably seen this movie like 500 times. Um, and my question is, as the filmmakers who are making this movie... Did you guys ever get tired of watching the same movie over and over during the editing and post-production process? Well, it's, it, it, you know, for uh, through that whole process, the movie's constantly changing. You know, we're we're con- so really what we're we're not watching necessarily the same movie over and over. Like every time we're watching it, it's different. Uh, there even if it's in very subtle ways. Uh, there certainly is times where we get very fatigued. Just because the process is is difficult, and the hours are long, um, but no I mean we have like a huge you know our passion for this material is is kind of boundless so so seeing as you two are the directors of what's arguably the two largest movies of the decade, a lot of what you say is taken out of context and spread around like fan sites uh, for example like uh, during this q and a if you say something about like uh x-men or the fantastic four maybe the next day it'll be spread online uh do you guys like are you guys more wary of what you say in q and a's like this uh so that like a lot of the information that you spread isn't like uh misconstrued as like as uh, false like as, as spread as rumors
2: that's why we joke around a lot so you never know whether we're being serious or not but no
0: that's a good point no it, i mean we do we, yeah the short answer is yes
3: I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think Limit, since the movie came out, you haven't really done too much press. Is it? Yeah.
0: You know? Um,
2: so, do you think Milnor would have been able to withstand the power of all six infinity stones no. as well as Stormbreaker did? No. It is not it is not as powerful as Stormbreaker. is <laughs> a king's weapon.
0: those <laughs> big fan, Spider-Man. Um, I wanted to ask, what is your guys' favorite line from the movie? If you guys had any. This is my voice. <laughs> How come Thor didn't cut Thanos' arms off? Why did he go for the chest?
2: Because he wanted to tell him to his face that he was going to get him back. And as he drove that axe into his chest and murdered him. Thank you. <laughs>
0: A lot of characters get undone by the motivation for revenge. Think of Tony Stark in Civil War.
2: Each Infinity Stone had one, sometimes two movies introducing them, their abilities, their characteristics except the Soul Stone. Can you elaborate on its powers, abilities, capabilities?
1: And the Soul Stone
2: obviously has the uh, ability to um uh, you know, manipulate your soul, uh the essence of who you are. Uh, the one key moment where uh, where it gets used is when dr Strange I don't know if you've noticed this, but he turns into multiple stranges and then Thanos uses the soul stone to eradicate all of the fake stranges and momentarily shoves strange out of his own body. Strange has to pull himself back in so and of course uh when uh, when uh, Thanos goes to the uh to the soul stone itself to uh To speak to his his dead daughter, Uh, obviously has the ability to resurrect and conjure, uh, you know, the uh, the spiritual um, uh, representation of uh, of people are dead. Good question.
0: Thank you. Good question.
1: Hi, you guys are obviously
3: so thoughtful about story. I'm curious, what are some of your biggest story influences, either from
1: when you're younger or when you were learning to become filmmakers? Whether it's specific creators or heroes' journeys. Books, movies—like what? Where are some of the places you really learned? Hero's story?
2: journey is invaluable. Yeah, um, I mean, th- you know, we, we learned by reading and writing and, and watching uh, films. We loved Hemingway growing up. We loved David Mamet. Um, uh, movies that we loved: The Godfather, uh, uh, Goodfellas, um, Once Upon a Time in the West—sort um, of very, very robust classic narratives that have shakespearean drama at the heart of them uh, shoot the piano player because it was so experimental tonally uh, it was at times absurd and at times in- incredibly uh, heartbreaking so um, uh, it was a, just a collection of, uh, of, of films and books and comic books and uh, playing dungeons and dragons and uh, being dungeon masters and having to craft stories for your friends and that's really how we to where we are now
0: throughout my entire adolescence, I just read I, I read uh, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings just over and over and over. I always carried a copy with me everywhere I went. Thank you on the right uh, do either of you draw because the way that you film we get all these awesome comic book moments uh, like when Cap shows up or Thor coming down so you guys doodle you know or have like little secret art books that maybe one day you'll release. Well, we fortunately don't, we draw, don't. We're but terrible we, drawers. Fortunately we work with a lot of amazing people who do. And uh yeah, that's we we love the we love artists and we love art and we, we are fortunate to be able to collaborate with a lot of people who uh who draw really amazing images that we, we can sort of go back and forth on.
2: Most important tools a director is communicate
0: and you have to be able to communicate
2: your vision, especially on a movie like this, to thousands of people. And because we have to talk to each other every day to communicate our vision to each other, I think we've become uh, more adept at communicating that vision to other people over the course of our careers. You guys have taken a lot of risks,
3: uh, and the fans have loved. But is there any risks that you took that you were worried that fans weren't going to love?
2: And killing half the characters.
3: (laughs) (laughs)
0: You know, We're worried for our safety. Safety. and watching, you know, having Tony Stark and Cap beat the hell out of each other at the end of the Civil War, making um, uh shield Hydra. I yeah. uh, like m- the end every, of every movie on a moment kill. like what you're talking about.
2: Beat, beat Tony Stark's father to death on camera. Um, what else? Um, I guess Wanda having to kill Vision. Uh, and she
0: loved it. Killing Loki in the first film, first scene of the movie.
2: That's actually turned out to be the most difficult thing we've ever done. It's kill Loki. Uh,
3: yeah. How likely would it have been for Thanos to get his glove back, despite uh, Quill freaking out on him?
2: Uh, how... What do you mean? I'm sorry. Th- uh, w- would it have been likely for him to get his glove back like if Quill no, didn't have no, his no. meltdown? That was the turning point of that scene is that, again, these are flawed uh, characters who make emotional choices uh, and human choices. And if Quill not done uh, that, the movie might have ended right there. I was wondering, what is, what's an example of one of the fake scenes that you wrote? In the script to throw off the cast members uh, and prevent them from oh, murdering. On the cliff, uh, uh, Gamora threw Thanos off the cliff.
3: <laughs> so basically the scenes are just opposite of what happens. Basically.
1: Right. <laughs> Sometimes.
0: All right, thank you guys so much for coming here and doing this. I'm a big fan. This is, this is awesome. So um, as filmmakers, what were the biggest takeaways that you guys had from making Infinity War? What are the things that you learned? Never shoot two gigantic movies back-to-back. That was probably the biggest thing we learned.
2: And don't eat donuts for breakfast every day. <laughs> if you guys could wield one stone for your own personal use, which one would you
1: choose? Is
0: there a pizza stone? Uh, yeah, pizza, the pizza stone. And I would Make. use the time stone to just keep eating the pizza over and over again.
3: <laughs> So I love Avengers Infinity War. And that being said, I've watched this movie way too much because I'm the one who noticed the hairstyle changes. So that being said, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm very... Wait a minute.
2: Yes. Did, didn't your hair change from when you were up there? <laughs> <laughs>
0: he is incredibly clever. Um, so
3: anyway, like I have a whole list of nitpicks, but the one that's been pressing on my mind is... Thanos in the movie, he said that uh, about Gamora's and her race, uh, all the children have went to bed, hun- uh, full stomachs and clear skies. However, in 2014, Guardians of the Galaxy, when the Xandar, when Gamora's in, captured,
2: it said she's the last survivor of her race. Mm-hmm. And so... Who hey, do you believe? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I believe you guys. You guys are pretty good at this, so... No. <laughs> oh, do you believe Thanos? Or do you believe Gamora? Ooh, Good point, good point. <laughs>
3: thank you for the question. Uh,
2: thank you. I hope this is not a one in 14,605 chances, but what are the odds that I could go to the Avengers 4 premiere? <laughs> <laughs> You're all invited. <laughs> uh, uh, we'd love to have everybody there. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think we find a theater big enough uh, to accommodate everybody. It's a tough question to answer because we always love to say yes to people, but uh, if we said yes to you, then we have to say yes to everybody. Thank you. Maybe we'll come back and do one of these uh, uh, Q&As the week that comes out. I
3: I was going to say that hopefully we didn't piss them off enough that I can convince them to do this again for some
0: other movie. We'd love to do it again with you. Okay, so uh, uh, out of all the people you guys killed at the end, uh, why did you guys leave the original Avengers?
2: And that was just... and We flipped a coin, really. I mean, I you remember that day? I think we day. had darts and we were just kind
3: of... It was mistaken, a
2: weird coincidence.
3: If, if I'm not mistaken, uh, isn't, aren't, wasn't there some element, though, of like, the people that died at the end of 3 uh, just didn't have really big roles to play in 4? Or like
2: they just weren't part of the storyline? Or there's people who pissed us off. <laughs> Thank you for making a movie that's going to impact us forever. Um, at the end of the movie, uh, we see Thanos on the farm. Uh, you know, very obviously his arm is screwed up, but it seems like his chest is fine.
0: Um, so I'm trying to figure out how mm. much... What, well, mm. Stormbreaker clearly jacked him up bad. He, he lo- so how much time had passed
2: uh, from mm. the actual snap to him... <laughs> Chilling on the farm. Is that a?
1: a Are you cat- close to a
3: buzzer, or is this stuff you can answer? Well, I just gave my answer.
2: <laughs> that was a great question.
3: Thank Got
1: you. It. Thank you. <laughs> uh, both as a fan and as a member of the press, I interviewed you both a couple years ago. I just want to say you're two of the best
0: filmmakers in the business. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you very um, much. Very sweet. Thank you all. Thank you.
1: And for your first film, you had there was a mention of um, a certain man in Cairo. And I was just wondering,
0: is that, was that part you with Moon Knight? Talk about Moon Knight, obviously. And th- that's like the one character I would kill for you guys to still do. Um, is, do you have any interest in that? And how would that work? Do you just have an idea? Would you be able to just go
1: to Kevin? Or does he have the plan and you'd have to wait? How would that work? I
2: mean, I think it's it's very collaborative. You, would, you know, if there was something we were passionate about, then we'd all sit down and have a conversation about it. Um, it would be nice to... Uh, to make a film about one character. Uh, uh, we, uh, you know, yeah. We, I mean, there's a lot of characters that we love that we, we'd love to uh, dig into. Uh, ultimately, we're still just focused on uh, trying to deliver uh, Avengers 4.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you. Hey, guys. Uh, my question is, uh, is there a particular reason that Doctor Strange does not tell Tony of uh, what the one chance they have is? The one chance they have is right when he looks into the future, and yeah, he said, "There's one." Well, he output. dies. That's why he doesn't tell him. Well, There's a lot of, there's a lot of time in between. I'm just curious why he didn't just like, oh, by the way, it's this. Oh,
2: well, he's getting his ass kicked. Well, <laughs> and the time in between. So
0: yeah. fair enough. Fair enough. Thank you. Yeah. Guardians Volume Three is on hold indefinitely, and if it does get made, some of the actors might have moved on by then. So has that changed your guys' process for Avengers 4, like wanting to retool, have a resolution for the characters?
2: No, uh, because we shot the movie already.
0: Thank you.
3: They answered an Avengers 4 question.
0: (laughs) Thank you guys for doing this. Uh, I love your films, but I also love Marvel TV shows, and I love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I wanted to know um, if you wanted to have Phil Coulson, because he was one of the my favorite characters in Avengers in the first Avengers movie. So, do you think, um, or did you want it to have any reference to him in Infinity Wars? Or, uh, or, or do I mean, you...
2: we love Coulson as a character as well. It's just uh, um, you know, he's it's, uh, it's in the TV universe now, and they're yeah. they're working with his character. And like I said, it's too hard for us to pass characters back. In
0: and by the way I uh I watch uh, Winter Soldier so many times so I think I know every word. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Cool. Thank, thank you. Thank so. you. I have my twin brother here and I'm I'm curious to know how uh 25 years ago you and your brother were able to build such a like a dream career side by side with your your brother and then how now so many years later you both been able to tolerate each other so well over the years uh it just this
2: isn't actually my brother <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: they fu- the yeah. the brother went away many years ago no, he, he, quit, um, he quit after we, a
2: big fight as an actor We're tell him the whole story? <laughs> it's
0: too it's too dark it's too dark um but no, we just, uh, you know, we just started, we, we had, look, we, we grew up, we shared a, a passion for film growing up, but we did, we weren't filmmakers growing up, it was just, we were just film geeks. Um, and then what happened was when we were early, in our early 20s, uh, Robert Rodriguez made a movie called El Mariachi, and he wrote a book about how he made the film for $7,000, which was not true, right? <laughs> but at the, at the time, we didn't know it wasn't true. Uh, so we thought a light bulb went off in our heads we were like you can make a movie for $7,000. So and then all and we get a sudden... <laughs> million dollars
2: from Miramax to finish but go ahead.
0: Yeah. So that all of a sudden made uh movie making seem tangible to us. And at that point we began to uh write together and we basically started to read every book we could find on screenwriting and and filmmaking and we were in Cleveland and this is you know we we sought out everybody in Cleveland who was kicking around with, with anything to do with film. And we just started taking our baby steps together in the film business and figuring out how to how to do it as a craft. And that just grew and evolved over the years until until uh, one of the brothers had to be killed.
2: Out of all the Marvel movies you directed, what's your favorite scene that you've
1: directed and why?
2: Oh, wow. Uh, Um, you know what maybe just cuz it was it was our first one maybe the uh the fight between uh, uh the the highway fight between Captain America and Winter Soldier <laughs> or why is gamora
0: <laughs>
3: or why is gamora yeah is gamora?
0: yes so, was there a specific reason Adam Warlock was not in Infinity War? Because in the comic book, he had a pretty major role in the plot. And is he going to come into the movies or a movie as a major character at some point?
2: Well, again, you know, we had a lot of pre established characters. And sometimes characters from the books, one, again, being a comic book fan, I don't want to see a literal ter- interpretation of a comic book that I've read a hundred times. Because I don't want to go to the theater and know exactly what's going to happen in the movie. It kind of ruins the experience of going to a movie, Um, and uh, sometimes we'll take the arcs that have been assigned to different characters in the books and reassign them to other characters, or we're just taking inspiration from the books uh, and really deviating from the storyline, and in which case the characters aren't applicable to what we're trying to do in the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
3: So you guys have set the record for longest Q and A with the wow. Thank
2: you. So so of you guys, yeah. you sat through a very long movie and then sat here for two hours and listened to us babble. So thank you very yeah. much for that. Right, uh, thank thank
0: you yes. and thank thank, thank, thank you, you, for you for the for amazing us. questions yeah. and thank you all for your questions. So
3: before before we wrap, I just want to say again a huge thank you to Disney, Marvel, ArcLight Cinemas. Sideshow collectibles, hot toys, Joe and Anthony Russo, and all of you guys for coming out tonight to to do this for real.
2: Thanks.
1: Does anybody want breakfast, guys? Let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all time favorite for just
2: two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer or
1: combo meal. Ba da ba ba ba.